Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Would you hear with me from Acts 19, 8 through 10, in a sermon I'm calling Gospel Tenacity, the Word of the Lord. And he, and the he is Paul, we're stepping into Paul and his third missionary journey in Ephesus. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus, which by the way, that's a great name. I want to be called Tyrannus, just kidding. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Would you pray with me? God, we ask that through the fellowship known as North Roanoke Baptist Church, that the Roanoke Valley would hear the word of the Lord. God, that it would sound forth from your people, that people would bow the knee to Christ our King. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the verses just before these, Back in October, October 16th to be precise, we, we saw the priority of God's Word in, in, in the church. It's the foundation of all we do. It's, it's the way we correct doctrinal error or insufficient knowledge in believers. It's our defense when the gospel is attacked. It, it is what God uses to bring people to Christ. A person of God proclaiming the Word of God and the power of the Spirit of God and people are converted to Christ our God. This is, this is good. The Bible is at the heart of all that we do, and, and it's good for us desire, to desire to be a healthy church. That was the intro, in case you missed it. We want to be healthy. We want to, want to do church like God is asking us to do church. But I've noticed that we, and I say we intentionally, I include myself in that, we, we either tend to stress church health and forget the mission of reaching out to others, or we so stress the mission of reaching out to others that we forget church health. It's like, I want to be one or the other. But Paul shows us it's supposed to be both. For the church to endure as a true church and be a compelling witness and capable of making faithful disciples who make disciples, we've got to always be assessing and aligning what we do with God's heart as revealed in God's Word. We're never going to be perfect until He comes and makes us perfect. There's always going to be some tweaking and improving to do. Healthy disciples are made in healthy churches, and yet at the same time, we can't be so focused on health that we forget that we are engaged in God's mission. New disciples won't be made if lost people aren't hearing the gospel. We have to open our mouths. This, this means we have to refuse to be pigeonholed, to choose between, on the one hand, being a church that passionately pursues biblical health and uh, biblical knowledge and integrity, and on the other hand, being wholeheartedly devoted to getting the gospel to the lost. Both are necessary, and here's the good news. By the power of the indwelling Spirit, both are possible. And I say that because as we read these verses, 
Look at Paul. He's on his third missionary journey, and what is he doing? He's still doing both. He's still passionately sharing the gospel. He's still planting churches, coaching churches, writing letters when, to churches when they stray. I mean, the guy is simply incredible. And I, I began this message by highlighting some great things that God has allowed us to do concerning church health, which is wonderful. And we're going to continue to focus on church health. We can't neglect that. On the other hand, I want to challenge us in 2023, starting with me, to be reminded of the priority of getting the gospel to the lost of the Roanoke Valley. I want to urge us to the sort of gospel tenacity, the unrelenting pursuit of sharing the gospel that we see in Paul. And I want to share with you four truths this morning that I believe we, we see in these verses that if we're going to saturate our community with the gospel, do you want to saturate the Roanoke Valley with the gospel? If we're going to saturate the Roanoke Valley with the gospel, I think we see four truths in this text, or at least three, and then a, a bonus truth that I want to add really from the whole counsel of Paul. In verse 8, the truth I want you to see is this. We must boldly speak the gospel regardless of our likelihood of success. It's not up to you to save anybody anyway. God does the saving. You do the speaking. In verse 8, as, as Paul begins his ministry in Ephesus, we find he is once again boldly speaking the gospel. Where? Before Jews in the synagogue. I mean, we know what happens to Paul when he goes to Jews in the synagogue, right? It usually doesn't end well. Despite prior beatings and harassment and imprisonment and rejection, he is as bold on his third missionary journey as he was at the start when God saved him. You remember back in Damascus, he's converted on the Damascus Road. He was on his way to, to kill Christians, and instead he ends up in Damascus making Christians. What does it say about Paul in Acts 9, 27? He preached boldly to the Jews in Damascus. In his earliest days back in Jerusalem, we read that Paul was preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. In Acts 13, 26, Paul and Barnabas go out together, and they spoke boldly the gospel, despite being driven from Pisidian Antioch by Jews who stirred up per persecution against them. In the next city, Iconium, Paul and Barnabas remained for a long time. And what they do? They spoke boldly for the Lord. Same word every time. What does this word mean? It means to be plain, to be frank, to be open, to be confident, to be fearless. They were fearless in speaking the gospel regardless of the consequences. I've noted in other sermons as we've hit this word before that boldness is not about Paul's personality because even Barnabas, the, the humble encourager, is bold in speaking the gospel. Boldness is available to every Christian. Gospel boldness is not about whether you're an introvert or an extrovert or maybe like me. Have you ever taken the Myers-Briggs? I'm like right in between. Can't decide which I am. Depends on the context. But this boldness, it comes from the Spirit of God who empowers us. Remember Acts 1.8? It's the table of contents to the whole book of Acts. You're going to get power when the Spirit of God comes upon you and He's going to send you to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And here's Paul. He's at the ends of the earth. He's taking the gospel to Ephesus. We're, we're not in Jerusalem anymore, friends. 
And he's being bold. And he's being bold because the Spirit of God is with him. And he, he boldly speaks the gospel in, in a place where if he could have predicted for us how things would go, if we could have been like, hey, Paul, you know, News Channel 10, where are you going to go with the gospel in Ephesus? Well, I'm going to go to the synagogue. Uh, how do you think that's going to go? Here's probably what Paul would say. Well, like every other time at a synagogue or nearly every other time at a synagogue, some may listen and trust Jesus, but I'll probably end up having to leave one way or another. It's probably not going to end very well. Where does Paul go? He goes to the synagogue. In this case, he, he returns to the synagogue that he had already briefly visited on his way back from Antioch at the end of his, on his way back to Antioch at the end of his second missionary journey. He couldn't stay then, but he's back now. Paul never forgot, he never forgot that the Lord had kept his promise to the Jewish people by sending Jesus as their Messiah, and they desperately needed to follow their king. So he goes and he boldly speaks the gospel where he's not likely to succeed. How, how is Paul able to continue to go and speak a message that is largely rejected again and again and again? Well, first, he's, he's genuinely saved, right? He didn't just hear a sermon. He's like, rah, I'm going to do it, and then he flamed out. No, he didn't flame out because the Spirit of God is within him. He really knows Jesus. The desire for people to hear the gospel, no matter the result, doesn't come from us. It doesn't even come because we want to be bigger as a church or have more stuff. It comes from the Spirit of God who breaks our heart for those who don't yet know Christ. It comes from the living God who compels us to want others to hear the gospel such that they might also know Christ. In his boldness of speech, Paul was reasoning and persuading his hearers. In other words, he knew what he was talking about. We've seen these words with Paul before, right? To reason is to lecture or debate or to argue. Not to be argumentative, but to make an argument. He's making the argument for Christ. To persuade is to per passionately convince of something. Paul is, is not just academic, right? He's got his facts right, but he's vested in it emotionally. He's persuading them. Trust in Christ. Believe on Christ. Lean on Christ. Why would you not give it all over to Christ and have life? There's some persuasiveness in his speech. Paul knows the content of the gospel, and as he speaks to the Jews, he speaks of entering God's kingdom. The time to follow Jesus is now. He is king now. Follow him now. And surprisingly, this time for three months, Paul gets to hang out in the synagogue and speak the gospel. He's not kicked out in three days or three weeks. He's there for three months. And as we see in verse 9, some Jews, and likely some God-fearers as well, become disciples what does it mean to become a disciple? They become a learner of the way of Jesus. They become Jesus followers. They're, they're changed on the inside through repentance and faith in Christ. God changes them. So Paul goes where he's most likely to experience rejection, and he boldly speaks of Jesus. And guess what? Some are saved. Did you know... If you go to places and to people where 
they're very unlikely to come to saving faith, God would delight to surprise you. He can break down the most hard-hearted sinner. He can overcome every obstacle and every objection. Is that not why we pray for lost people? Because God's got to do the work. God's got to melt the heart. God's got to open the ears and the eyes of the sinner to believe on Christ. So this morning, that card that you have in your, in your chair is, is not just for you to look at. It's, it's to interact with. Some of you have in your family, in your, in your office, in your workplace, there's somebody in your life that when you think of them and the word unlikely, you're like, yeah, they're unlikely to believe in Jesus. That person isn't going to believe in Jesus. You may have already tried. You know they're not going to believe in Jesus because you've tried like 10 times. You just tried at the last Thanksgiving meal and you're like, that's it. Do, Do you have that person in your mind? The unlikely one. I want to encourage you to write their name down on the card and ask that God would give you an opportunity sometime in 2023 to share with them the precious gospel of Jesus Christ. And just leave it in His hands, whoever they are. Now, there's two cards. The reason there's two cards, at the close of our service, you're going to have an opportunity, if you would like, to just leave that card on the stage. One of them is for you to keep. One of them is is to be left on the stage if you're willing. If you're not comfortable bringing it to be left on the stage, if you would just leave it in the offering box, because here's what's going to happen. That card is going to become a prayer list for me for 2023 and for our our staff. We're going to pray over all the names. You say, well, I don't want their whole name. I don't want their identity disclosed. Just put their first name. You know them as Bubba? Put Bubba down. I, I I don't care. God knows who they are. Uncle Bubba. Whoever, all right? The, the person in your life, may, maybe it's a, a neighbor that you haven't even introduced yourself to yet, but every time he's mowing the grass, he's cursing like a sailor. You're like, that guy's not going to trust Jesus. And God, God's like, yeah, you're going to his house in 2023. You're going to have him over. You got it? Whoever it is, just write their name down. Once for, one on a card to keep, one on a card that we can pray for. Now, now you're thinking, but, but pastor, um, what if they reject me? And, and they might, right? The second thing I want you to see in this text is that rejection of you is not really rejection of you. It's, it's rejection of the gospel. And when people reject Jesus and the gospel, Jesus isn't done with you as a missionary. He's, he's not done with you as a mouthpiece. He's just moving you to a new opportunity. We've got to begin to see rejection, not as rejection of us, but as our sovereign Lord sending us to new people in new places to share the gospel. Does that make sense? Does anybody, anybody else in here hate being rejected? Man, I share the gospel one time and I get all excited and then I get rejected and I'm like, I'm shutting down. Not doing that again. It's not about you. They're rejecting Jesus. Just move on. After three months of hearing about Jesus, we read in verse 9 that some became stubborn, continued in unbelief, and were speaking evil of the way. What's the way? It's Christianity. They were calling it this offshoot of Judaism. Oh, they, they think they're the way. Well, they are the way because Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. It's what the Jews should have been looking for. But they're, they're insulting, 
Uh, They're continuing in their unbelief. They're becoming even more hard-hearted. They're becoming like Pharaoh and like the people of Judah who refused to listen to Jeremiah's warnings as they hardened their hearts to, to God's word. So they spoke evil of Christianity. And, and so Paul, what did he do? He quit, right? He packed up his tent-making tools and went back to Antioch and said, Guys, the gospel mission is aborted. It's abandoned. No more sharing Jesus. They just shut me down wherever I go. No, what did he do? He moved on. He, he left the opposition in God's capable hands. He took the gospel and those who had become disciples with him to the hall of Tyrannus. Now, that means that the hall was either owned by Tyrannus or that Tyrannus was like a local philosopher, speaker, who frequented this, this hall often in Ephesus. Either way, the outcome is the same. Gospel rejection in the synagogue becomes a massive gospel opportunity in a new place. Rejection among the Jews becomes lectures among the nations. It's incredible to me how gifted and determined that Paul is to make the most of this opportunity in Ephesus. He he is able, seemingly with very little preparation, to lecture every day. You see that daily in the Hall of Tyrannus. But Paul isn't just brilliant, he also works hard to make the most of the opportunities that God gives him. We learn over in chapter 20, we'll get there eventually, that Paul, while he was in Ephesus, was still making tents to support himself. He says in verse 34 of chapter 20, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. So Paul was taking care of himself, he was taking care of others, he was working his hands to the bone, and then he was lecturing in the hall every single day. In in later manuscripts of the book of Acts, we discover a detail that's not included in the original version of the scriptures, but it seems that, that it's probably a likely accurate historical detail that was communicated in oral tradition and then written down later. And, and here's the detail. When did Paul lecture in a hall that somebody else was lecturing in? Well, he did it in the afternoon siesta hours. So he goes to the hall when nobody's in the hall. He's been working his hand to the bone all day into the early afternoon. Everybody else goes home and takes a nap. Paul goes to the hall of Tyrannus. And he shares the gospel. Now at this point, some of you are probably thinking what I'm thinking whenever I read about Paul. I'm not Paul. I'm just an average Joe or an average Jolene. Jesus changed my life, but I'm not Paul, all right? I can't do what Paul did. I need my eight hours of sleep. I I know the Bible, but I don't know the Bible like Paul. And if I read the Bible a hundred times in the next year, I still wouldn't know the Bible as well as Paul did. I mean, the guy was trained as a rabbi from youth, and then he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he's relearning the Old Testament in light of who Christ is. This guy knows the Word. I mean, I can't be Paul, and by the way, I can't do anything useful with my hands either, much less make tents. Any of you ever feel like that when you read about Paul? I want to be sure you get this next point. 
Paul transitions out of rejection into a new opportunity and he works hard. He's willing to do whatever is necessary. But if Paul goes to a hall at siesta time by himself, nobody's going to be listening. Everybody's going to be napping. So the next thing we need to see, and I really want you to grab this this morning, is we've got to see that saturating a community, a region with the gospel is a team effort. Even Paul needed a team. In verse 9, when Paul left the synagogue, he took the disciples with him. He didn't just go himself, hey, go live your best life now, I'm going to go hang out in the hall. No, come with me to the hall. Paul was the tip of the spear, but he's not acting solo. In verse 10, we read that this continued for two years. He's able to lecture persuasively on the gospel for two years. How in the world did Paul have people to communicate the gospel to for two years in a lecture hall in Ephesus? His brothers and his sisters in Christ were willing to skip their siestas too. Ephesus was a city of massive strategic importance with a population estimated between 350,000 and a half million people. And within two years, these disciples, a, a growing number of them, no doubt, took the gospel throughout Ephesus. And for those who were passing through or visiting for the day, they took it back to their homes and to their neighborhoods. And they were asking people almost constantly for two full years, come and hear Paul. Come and hear Paul talk about a king that you need to follow. And for two years, people came. They came from Ephesus and surrounding communities and neighborhoods. And in just two years, you see it, all the residents, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Loved ones, I know many of you have experienced gospel rejection, but we cannot let gospel rejection keep us from pursuing God's next open door. I want, I want you to hear this and hear this well. Success in sharing the gospel is sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel is success. God does the saving. All the residents heard. Do you see that verse 10? They heard the word of the Lord. Does it say they all believed the word of the Lord? No, they, they heard it. All heard. Every day in the Roanoke Valley, people are dying. Some die never hearing the gospel from their Christian friend or brother or uncle or cousin or sister or mother or colleague or customer or co-worker. Do we feel the weight of that this morning? We need to get out of the fear of rejection zone and into the gospel sharing and inviting zone. If Paul and the early Christians in Ephesus can reach the entire Roman province of Asia in two years, as many as 10 million people, I know that we who are saved and sent by the same God can be used to get the gospel to many throughout the Roanoke Valley over the next couple of years. Do you believe that? That this team right here, that God could use us to penetrate the Roanoke Valley afresh with the gospel? In Ephesus, the Lord provided the hall of Tyrannus and some grateful disciples to pass along the message. How did they reach this whole big area? They had a lecture hall, they had Paul, and they had people that said, come listen to Paul. 
Do we have a place to gather? We do. Do we have somebody who shares the gospel week in and week out? We do. Now, I'm no Paul, but I'll give you my best. Ethan will give you his best. Paul will give you his best. Hope will give you his best. We'll just keep sharing, right? And you keep inviting and keep bringing, and we'll see what God does. He's given us a place. He's given us a people. He's given us the gospel. He's given us the spirit. We, we, just, need, we just need to open our mouths. And we have good reason to be encouraged in this, right? A recent nationwide survey, 2021, surveyed unchurched Americans and found that 79% of them don't mind if their Christian, fr- Christian friend talks about their faith in Jesus. 79% of unchurched Americans don't mind, meaning they're not going to throw tomatoes at you. They're not going to cut you off. They don't mind if you talk about Jesus. That's almost 8 out of 10. Sadly, however, less than 30% of the unchurched in America say they have ever had someone personally explain the gospel to them. More than 7 in 10 unchurched in America say they have never had someone personally explain the gospel to them. Church, these early disciples used their personal time and their personal lives to make much of Jesus. They sacrificed their siesta to bring people to Jesus. So there's two things I want to ask you. First, do people know you as a Jesus person in your digital neighborhood? They didn't have social media to spread the word. They had to get on foot, open their mouths. But we have a social media world and Many of you are active out there. Do do your friends know that if they have a question about the gospel that they could come to you? Do do they know that you're a Jesus person and if they want to know more about Jesus, you would gladly help? Have you gone public with and for Jesus in your life? Or is he just a sidebar for Sunday? I did the Jesus thing, started the New New Year off right, I checked the box. Brothers and sisters, we're not box checkers. We're, we're kingdom advancers. We've been changed by the Spirit of God. And the second thing I want to ask you to do is, using that card again, would you write down the name of a, a friend or a family member, that person at the gym, a, a co-worker, a neighbor, or an acquaintance that you will share the gospel with in 2023 or that you'll invite to church in 2023? Maybe grab coffee or lunch or FaceTime or Zoom. And this is somebody that you don't know how they'll respond. It's not that they're unlikely to respond. You just, you just don't know where they are. They're just unknown to you. You've never bridged the divide to have that conversation. That, that lady in the cub, cubicle over. That guy that greets you at Walmart every time and you know his name and you're so kind to him. Of course, they don't greet you at Walmart anymore. So, um, The guy who makes sure you actually paid for your stuff at Walmart. Right, whoever it is. Uh, for me, there's a guy in my mind. He works at Blue Cow. And I'm going to go back and share the gospel with him. Everything about his attire says, I'm not a Christian. I'm doing my own thing. And I've been there several times to buy ice cream. I struck up a conversation the last time we were there. And the next time, I'm going to see if I can take him to lunch. I have no idea how this gentleman's going to respond to the gospel. But he's the person God's laid on my heart for 2023. He's going to get the gospel from Pastor Daniel. We'll see what happens. Everybody understand that category? 
somebody's unlikely, somebody's unknown. And then finally, in closing this morning, beloved, we, if we're going to saturate our city with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we must not forget what is at stake. Eternity is at stake. We've just come through a sermon series where I urge you to respond to the grace of God for you and Jesus through generous giving. I did it because I love you and because the Bible speaks of it often. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, giving generously is a way that we take hold of that which is truly life. We take hold of eternity and leave behind that which is fleeting as we invest in the kingdom. Everlasting life doesn't come from what we possess. It comes from being possessed by King Jesus. When He owns our heart, we have eternity. God has given us giving for a reason, but He's also given us a lost world to reach for a reason. Starting right here in Roanoke. I want to remind you, loved ones, we are talking about eternity and Jesus makes all the difference. When's the last time you wept over the plight of lost people? Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. We find Paul describing the plight of the lost even as he weeps over them. When Paul thought about the Jews who had rejected Christ, people that he loved so deeply, he says in Romans, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish if it were possible, I could wish that I myself were cursed, condemned to eternity in hell, cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. In 2 Thessalonians 1.9, Paul says the lost will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His might. Some of us this morning just need to pray that the Spirit of God would refresh our hearts, that He would awaken us to what is at stake, that He would embolden us to open our mouths to speak the gospel and invite people to hear the gospel proclaimed. If someone will meet you for coffee or lunch and you're a bit anxious about sharing the gospel, I promise you one of your pastors will come and help you share the gospel. You have a neighborhood party and have 10 people over and want to introduce them to your church, we'll be there. If you bring friends and neighbors and strangers to church, I pledge to you, they will hear of Christ. I don't know about in your life, but in my life, there's There's a category on your card that says unspeakable. And here's what I mean by that. There's someone in my life that I love deeply who doesn't know Christ. (laughs) 
And when I call her to mind, this happens to me every time. I practice all week for this not to happen. And it's still happening. It's unspeakable. (laughs) The eternity that she faces apart from Christ breaks my heart. And the reality is, church, we should feel that way about all the loss that are in our lives. But there's somebody in your home, in your office, in your family, your heart is broken, a wayward son or daughter, a husband who comes along with you to church but isn't really a believer. A wife who won't come with you to church, but you keep coming faithfully week in and week out and praying that, that somehow, some way, God will honor your faithfulness. This morning, in that third category, I want to ask you to write down somebody who's unspeakable in your life. And if you don't have somebody that's unspeakable, maybe God would just have you as as I invite our worship team to come and begin to play. Maybe you didn't have anybody to write down on your card. Maybe you need to write your own (laughs) name down on that card. Maybe you're here and you're the one that's unlikely to give their life to Christ. And maybe the Spirit of God would break through and break your heart for what breaks His and and draw you up into salvation even this day. I I don't know. But here's what I know. If if a church will humble themselves before God and rejoice in the salvation that God alone can give, and if God will break our heart for lostness in our valley, I'm telling you, He'll do something. So if you've got a card, maybe it only has one name on it. Maybe you're the person whose name needs to be on there. We invite you to come as we sing and and trust Christ today. And join the movement of taking the gospel to our valley. Maybe you only could write down one out of three or two out of three. It doesn't matter. Anybody that you would want your staff to pray for in 2023, that you you would get out there and share the gospel with them or invite them to church. We'd invite you to come and just lay your card on the stage saying, I'm, by God's grace, somehow I'm going to share the gospel with these people in 2023 and I want you to pray for me. And there might be others of you that say, look, I got my names down or I don't have my names down, but, but I need a fresh brokenness for what really matters. See, what happens in my mind is I push it out I try not to think about what the lost are going to face so that I can live my comfortable life. So that I can walk through Kroger, I can get my stuff, and I can get in the self-checkout lane, and I can not talk to anybody, and I can get home because we're busy. And you're busy. There's pressures and demands and stuff going on in your home. 
Work is hard. Raising kids is hard. Family's hard. It is. But beloved, one day, one day soon, time is up. There's going to be cashiers at Kroger. There's going to be people you do business with every week. Let's not let them wonder why we didn't share. By God's grace, may He help us. Would you pray with me? Spirit of God, do what only you can do for the glory of Christ, the good of our lost friends, our families, our co-workers, our neighbors, for the unlikely, the unknown, and the unspeakables in our lives. God, we pray that you would move and that you would start with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.